In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both now and ever, and unto the ages of all ages, amen. So, this parable of the sower that Jesus is sharing with us. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, this gospel is the only gospel that will be read two times in a row. It'll be read this week and it'll be read next week. So obviously there's a message here or multiple messages that God wants, really wants to share with us. I'm not going to go into too much detail about all you know, all the specifics of it. But it, Jesus tells a very simple story. In fact, I bet you most of the people that were there, it says that people came from all over the place. It says that people came from everywhere to hear him. And when people come from all over the place, and they come from far and wide, and they come from coast to coast, and they come from north and south to hear him, he tells them something that they all already know. So it's the season for sowing seed, so a sower went out to sow some seed. And when he sowed some by the wayside, that's ground that has been walked upon a lot, and so it's become hard, so the seed doesn't go down into nice, fluffy, soft earth. It just sits on the surface. The birds see it, and they come and eat it, and it doesn't bring up any fruit. When it go, falls on stony ground, you know, it, 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 it sprouts up really quickly because it has no depth of earth, but as soon as a bit of sun comes out, it gets scorched, doesn't bear any fruit, falls amongst thorns, falls in the thorny places, and it grows, but other weeds grow with it. And they eat, they eat up all the nutrients that would have went to it. They suck up all the good stuff, and it doesn't bear too much fruit. Some of it fell on good ground and yielded a crop 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. This business of 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold gives us a really good indication. And Jesus explains what, what, the, um, uh, what this parable means. He says the seed is the word of God, which is sown, and there's different kinds of people who receive it differently. So what's, the, what's different between these different places and why some places have a crop and some people don't, some places don't, has to do with how the seed is received, how the word of God is received. During the gospel, the priest prays a prayer. It's called the, the inaudible prayer of the gospel or sometimes called the mystery of the gospel. And he prays and he says, O you who are long-suffering, receive upon your holy rational altar in heaven our prayers, our supplications, our repentances, our confessions, and grant your people to receive the word and to bear up fruit thirty-fold, sixty-fold, and a hundred-fold. So while the gospel is being read, the priest is praying and saying, Lord, let these people be that fourth kind of soil that will bear up fruit tens of multiples of the amount of seed that was sown. The question is, how do you and I receive the seed? I want to encourage you. I really want to encourage you. If you look at the psalm that was read during, um, uh, during uh, 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 Matins, the psalm says, you water its ridges abundantly, you settle its furrows, you make it soft with showers, you bless its growth, you crown the year with your goodness, your paths drip with abundance. Six times we address God and we say, from you, Lord, comes the rain. From you, Lord, comes the soil. From you, Lord, comes 
the wind. From you, Lord, comes the sun. From you, Lord, comes. We keep telling him, from you, from you, from you. I want to tell you that the Christian life is a really exciting and encouraging life because God does most of the work. It's a participation. It's a synergy. It's a cooperation. It's a, it's a, it's a duo. It's a, you call it what you want to call it, okay? It's you and God working together. But I want to tell you, God is delighted to do most of the work. Think of, like, think, think of this. What does, what does the, the ground have to do? All it has to do is receive the seed. Like, the ground doesn't doesn't worry about it, doesn't, you know, in the, in, in, when Jesus is describing the relationship of the Holy Trinity in John 15, he says, your father is the vine dresser and, this, and I am the vine, you are the branches. What's the relationship of the branches to the vine? They just receive the sap. They don't do, any, the vine dresser does all the planning, does all the waiting, does all the, he does all the work. The, the trunk gathers and the sap and delivers it and the branches the branches just have to stand there and passively just allow allow the sap to go from the trunk to the fruit that's all they have to do i'm not suggesting that the christian life is a passive life what i'm suggesting is that if you if you if you if you're going to weigh out how much god does and how much we do in this cooperation man we got the good end of the deal there is no doubt the question is, how do you and I receive the seed? The same thing is repeated in the, in the Psalm of Vespers. It says, you provide their grain. You have pre prepared it. God does most of the work. In that same Psalm, in that same Psalm, it says, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. Whenever you hear the words, the river of God, um, they make reference, they always make reference to two rivers, one in Ezekiel 47 and one in Revelation 22, both of which are talking about, both of which are talking about the Messiah, both of which are talking about Christ. In Ezekiel 47, for like six chapters or something, God is telling Ezekiel, build the temple like this and this long and this high and all these measurements. And it's hard to stay awake reading all of that. And then you get to this part and he says, and I came and I saw at the temple and from the door of the temple, from the, from the east, from the east and from just to the right of the altar, there came water coming out from under the threshold of the temple, from the right of the altar. And that water started to trickle, and I looked down, and it was like wetting my feet. And then it was up to my ankles. And then it was up to my knees. And then it was up to my hips. And then it was so deep that a man could not stand in it, but could only swim in it. And he says, and I looked to where the river was going, and it was going eastward. And as I looked everywhere the river went, all the barren land came to life and trees started to sprout up on the two riverbanks on either side and they bore beautiful fruit which nourished man and the leaves were for his medicine. So this is the chapter called the river of life and in Revelation a similar image which is a river of fire, a topic for another day. This is the river of life. There's a beautiful song called the river of life or the river of God. Um, 
And the fathers tell us what this what is this river? What is this river that God is pouring out into arid, dry, dead land? Like you might say, Father John, okay, there's four soils, you know, but like I am undoubtedly the first soil, you know, I am king or queen of ADHD, you know, no matter what you say to me, I'm going to look at you three seconds later and say, huh, what was that? Um, and I have no idea what, I have no, you know, no idea what you're talking about because uh, I wasn't listening and I'm not very good at listening and so on, right? I want to tell you, this river went out onto that land. And made it soft and made and made trees come out of it that became the medicine of life. The fathers tell us what this river is. They tell us that this river, St. Jerome says that this river is the teaching of the church. St. Barnabas says these are the waters of baptism. St. Jerome also says that the waters are made sweet by Christ's entry into them at baptism, which he, and where he grants us forgiveness. St. Dionysius says they're overflowing spiritual nourishment. St. Isaac the Syrian says the prophets enter the water as a sign of our spiritual journey. And so on and so on. They're telling us, they're telling us that God is providing, God is providing, they're saying in multiple different ways, they're saying God is providing what is necessary for our spiritual growth. He's providing what is necessary for our intimacy in the life of Christ, our being, our being molded into the life, kneaded into the life of Christ. You know, you take a piece of dough and you take a big lump of dough and you put the little piece of dough into the big lump of dough and you knead it and then you can't tell the difference anymore, right? My daughter loves doing that with Play-Doh, different colors of Play-Doh. We don't have like a, a uniform color of Play-Doh left in our house. They're all mix and match, multicolor rainbow now. You know what I mean? Which is great. Kids love to have fun and they should. But you can't separate anymore. You can see that there's this and there's that, but you can't separate them anymore. God wants to do that with you. He wants to take your life and he wants to put it into the life of Christ. He wants to knead it in so it becomes, your whole life becomes the life of Christ, including his cross, including his resurrection. That's what God wants. And this is all done. This is all done through how we receive the seed that then brings life and changes everything. Right? At the end of the liturgy, the priest presents, at the end of the raising of incense, forgive me, the priest presents the gospel and the cross. Raising of incense is this pre preparatory prayers that are prayed the evening before and the morning of, of a divine liturgy. And at the end of the service, very, very end of the service, the priest, it ends with the reading of the gospel, a couple of litanies, which are often said silently, a couple of uh, prayers often said silently. So the gospel and then the conclusion. And at the end of the conclusion, the priest presents the cross and the gospel to the people like this. And the people come and they kiss the cross because it is the, the sign of the love of God. This is the sign of his love for us. And they come and then they kiss the gospel because this is the message of the good news. This is the river of life that took me from being arid ground and made me into this fertile garden that is producing fruit and medicine of immortality for others and bringing the word of God to others and bringing life to others, bringing life to my office, bringing life to my world, like my group of friends that I'm working with on stuff at school, bringing, bringing life to my family. So they come, the, the faithful come and they kiss 
They kiss the word. Notice that this happens almost immediately after the reading of the gospel. Another interesting thing about, about our rites and rituals. See, all our rites and rituals are not, it's not like magic, you know, like, like you stand on one leg, you know, put the other leg here, one hand here, scratch your ear, and then the Holy Spirit will do stuff. It's not, it's, it's, it's like, like, like I talk with my hands because I'm trying to illustrate something. We're trying, to, we're trying to illustrate our reverence for God. We're trying to live our faith, our unseen faith. We're trying to make it visible and tangible. When the gospel is being read, we believe when the gospel is being read, the priest or the, or the deacon stand at the, at the lectern there, and you have a full view of the altar because nobody's standing in front of it. The priest has some inaudible prayers, but he finishes them, and he comes and stands over here as well. So you have full view of the altar. Why? Because you're hearing with your ears the word of God. The word of life is coming to you. The sound is coming from here. Okay, it's coming from our speakers because we use an amplification, but pretend we didn't. It's coming from here and it's coming to you and you're receiving it. But it's not coming, the church is trying to tell you it's not coming from the deacon, it's not coming from the reader, whoever it is that's reading, it's coming from Christ himself. This is Christ. He is the word of God. These are not just his words. He is the word of God spoken by the Father to reveal to us the Father. So the altar is left empty. When a bishop is here, he stands and reads the gospel from here so you can see the altar and see him because the, 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 our current modern-day bishops now are the emissaries of Christ. They are the apostles of the modern age through apostolic succession, a topic for, a topic for another day. In the Pauline, we heard St. Paul say, He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Be encouraged. God is encouraging us to, to sow uh, bountifully, not to sow sparingly, not to just trickle a couple of seeds, but take a handful and sow them, right? And this is this was in the context of generosity for, for those in need. But today, the church has put this reading for us so that we can see that God who, who encourages us to, to, to scoop it out and dish it out does the same for us. Do not be afraid. God is generous. He's going to dish out from what you need and give you. Give you what? But what are we talking about here? What is God sowing? He's sowing the word of life. He's sowing the word of life and he's going to give it to you in abundance. There's a, you know, um, back way when, in the early, early church, there was a, a heresy, like a wrong teaching that came up called agnosticism. The idea was basically this. The idea was that only people who had some kind of secret knowledge could be part of the secret club and thus could achieve salvation. Everybody else, going to hell. So, but it was all based on secret knowledge. I'm kind of like, you know, summarizing it very, very much. There's more to it than that. But anyways, I want to tell you this is this, this kind of heresy has come up again today. In our modern day, all the time, you know, it's always like everything is being advertised to us like it's the secret ingredient missing in your life to make everything perfect, to make you productive, to make you this, to make you that, you know. 
I want to tell you, God doesn't, God isn't trying to give you some secret ingredient, you know, and he's going to give you like with an eyedropper, he's going to give you like a drop and it's going to magically, he is going to take like Niagara Falls and dump it on you of life, not an eyedropper, you know, and on anyone who's willing to receive on the whole world, but some ground will be arid and dry and refuse to receive. Quickly, quickly, the second reading was the Catholic from the Catholic, Catholic epistle, St. James, telling us, oh my goodness, the tongue. We say things that tear people apart. Lord have mercy. The church put this for us, maybe the church put this for us to tell us, you can't talk and listen at the same time, or maybe you can, I certainly can't. So if you want to, to receive the word of God, maybe I need to close this one and open these two. Lastly, and we'll finish with this, there was this reading today about this guy called Cornelius. Cornelius is described in Acts 10 as a godly man, deeply reverent with his entire household, and he gave generously to charity and was a man of prayer. And his usual practice was to fast and pray until 3 p.m. every day. Cornelius was a pagan Roman soldier. He wasn't St. Anthony in the desert. Cornelius was a centurion, so a, a leader of a, like a, you know, a hundred soldiers. And he was in Caesarea. Uh, Caesarea Cappadocia, Caesarea of Palestine. And he saw some miracles happen there, the, the Synexarium tells us. And when he saw that, he said he's never seen anything like this before. So he started praying and he asked his household to pray with him to understand what is this power? Who is this God that they don't know? They've never seen anything like this before. What's going on? So he fasted and prayed and fasted and prayed and fasted and prayed and was generous and, and charity to the poor and so on. And God sends a vision to St. Peter as, he, as he's taken an afternoon snooze in Yaffa on, on the roof in Yaffa in Jason's house. And he sees a vision and, and I won't go into the details of it, but he, God tells him, there's a bunch of guys who are going to come and knock on the door and they've been sent to bring you to this guy named Cornelius. Go and visit him. St. Peter says, whoa, 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 I'm a Jew. Jews do not enter the homes of Gentiles. And God basically tells him through a couple of illustrations, dude, just do it. Maybe those weren't his exact words, but close enough, right? So he goes and he goes and as he's talking with them, as he's, Cornelius says, so who are you? He says, I'm St. Peter. He says, oh, so, 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 talking there, you know, why are you here and this and that? And Corn, Corn, who are you, Cornelius? Oh, I am so on and I'm seeking and I want to know this God. And so St. Peter starts explaining to him who Jesus is. And while Peter was still speaking these words, while St. Peter was speaking, like the words were just coming out of his mouth, the Holy Spirit comes down on these Roman pagans, comes down on them. And St. Peter's eyes like become saucers. They'd never seen that before. They've never seen 
like Jesus was a Jew, all his disciples were Jews. Like the Gentiles, they were like the filth of the earth. Like, what's going on? Wait a minute, they're not chosen people. What's, hold up, right? And then the Holy Spirit comes down on them. Cornelius says, hang out with us for a few days, teach us. So he stays with them for a few days. He goes back to Jerusalem and the Jews are like, what? You went to go see Gentiles? And he tells them, look, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit came down upon them exactly like it did with us on the day of Pentecost. Who was I to say, who was I to say no? I'm going to tell God no, right? And that was a whole paradigm shift in Christianity, all due to this one guy named Cornelius. But pay attention. St. Peter was just saying the words. He was just telling him there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth and he was a good man and the power of God was in him and he went all about casting out demons and delivering people from the evil of demons. And they crucified him and as he was saying the words, as he was proclaiming the faith, life entered into Cornelius. The Synexarium tells us that Cornelius used to repeat a prayer. He used to say, O oh Lord God, I am confused in my knowledge of you. Direct me and guide me to you. How many of us could, could pray that prayer? I certainly could. O oh Lord God, I am confused in my knowledge of you. Direct me and guide me to you. I'm confused, Lord. I don't know. I, 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 there's so much that I don't know. Cornelius ends up being ordained a, the bishop of Caesarea, equal to the apostles. And he preaches there, and he baptizes many people, to the point that he preached to the governor, Demetrius, and he was baptized. And Caesarea became a, a new micro-center of Christianity at that time, that God can do the same with you and the same with me. And it's all about how we receive his word. Glory be to God forever and ever. And I have sinned. Forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray for me.